we're, we're starting a, a series, a three-week series here. Um, it's called Day, uh, Days, Day of Evil, Day of Evil, singular, today's plural of goodness. The Bible talks about a day of evil in Ephesians 6, which is a season too many days of goodness. And, you know, I, I keep seeing on social media this, this phrase from Esther, for such a time as this, for such a time as this. And we're going to be going through the book of Esther in the next three weeks, watching how God flipped something that looked disastrous for a people and turned it into days of goodness. And I've just got to cover some things here. I, I, I feel like I need to say this. I'm just giving this to you, Lord. I'm giving, I pray that you would be every word that I speak. And it's not about me. It's about them. It's what they receive from you. It's about, it's about what they receive from you online. Everyone watching online, Lord, I pray they would take what you want them to have from this. Be my words. Holy Spirit, we have to have you a manifestation of your presence in Jesus' mighty name, amen. And, you know, this story of Esther, it happened in Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And the Persians had an unbelievable empire. Unbelievable. If you, you know, Google it sometime. It's the, the, the they owned the world, you could say, a lot like Rome, Rome did. I've probably watched you know, I'm a, I'm a history person just for the fun of it. And I've probably watched 20 documentaries and, and read at least 10 books in regards to the Persian Empire and their four major battles over a period of 25 years with the Greeks, trying to put the Greeks down. I love that part of history because you could say it's the beginning of East versus West. Two different types of cultures clashed if the Greeks would not have defeated the Persians in numerous battles, in those four battles, our society, I can tell you, would look totally different today. It would look totally different today. And you can really trace East versus West all the way to 9-11. It never stopped and continued all the way to 9-11, beginning with the Greeks and the Persians. The Persians, um, under King Nebuchadnezzar, you need a, like a... I think you need, we need to lay some groundwork for this. I'm really excited about next week. That sermon is done. This sermon is a lot of groundwork. Um, the Persians under King Nebuchadnezzar conquered Israel and took them all back to Persia, all the Hebrews. The Persian king, after Nebuchadnezzar, was Belshazzar, who you see Daniel dealing with. Daniel also dealt with Nebuchadnezzar, but this Persian king that was on the throne, you'll see in Esther chapter one, is called Asarius, Ahasarius. Another name that you see him called throughout the book is Octasius. But when you see these names, they're not actually his names, they're his title, all right? I'm just trying to prep you for the book when we read these scriptures, uh, that that, that title, Assyrius, is like a title like the Egyptians gave their Pharaoh. So I'm just going to put that, that name. His real name was Darius, this king. And just a little history on Esther. Quickly, Esther is a Jewish girl who had lost her parents. The Bible does not say how she lost her parents, 
Her original name was not Esther, it was Hadassah. Hadassah, Hadassah meaning in the Hebrew myrtle tree. The myrtle tree is a blessing tree to the Jewish people. It's one of the trees in the tabernacle. In the Persian language, Esther means star. And this story about how a beautiful captive girl named Esther was promoted to the throne as the queen of an empire when things looked as dark as they could possibly be, how God overruled circumstances, turned an extremely dark day, singular, into days of light, full of light. And the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. In other words, there's a lot of hidden truths in the Bible And God puts a lot of things in the Old Testament that come to light in the New Testament. They're called types or shadows. Types, shadows, or pictures. And so we're gonna be covering a lot, and I'm so excited about next week because there's some wild stuff that we're gonna be going over. But the first thing is, I wanna talk to you about this. This is a complete and total rabbit trail. It's it's like a nine-minute rabbit trail, so will you bear with me? Um, Isaiah 30, 18 and 19 many scholars believe is a prophecy for today. We have been grafted in to the nation of Israel. And it says in verse 18, therefore the Lord will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you for the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. Verse 19, for the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And here's the verse, verse 21. Thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way, walk ye in it, when you turn to the right hand, and when you turn to the left, you're gonna hear a voice from behind. If you really look into this, the fact that we have been grafted in with the nation of Israel, it's very clear in the New Testament. Many scholars believe this is a prophecy that the church walks in at the end times. Notice how it talks about a voice from behind telling you how to walk. If you go forward to the book of Revelation, we have John who heard a voice from behind him. He said it sounded like a loud trumpet, this voice. Talking about John in Revelation now, connecting it to the prophecy in Isaiah 30, a trumpet in the Bible, if you study out types and shadows, is a picture or a type of redemption. You know that the shofar that the, that the Israelites used, that ram's horn that comes from a death of an animal or the silver trumpet, and I can prove to you silver in the Bible signifies redemption. So the trumpet is a proclamation, whether you confess it, sing it, shout it, declare it, preach it, teach it on the subject of redemption of Jesus Christ, you are sounding the silver trumpet it, it speaks of in the word numerous times. So John in the book of Revelation heard a voice behind him like a loud trumpet. He turned around and saw the Alpha and Omega, Jesus Christ himself. 
And, and why the voice behind? Because Isaiah prophesied about a generation that would hear and be guided by a voice behind that could receive his grace. Because everything for us today, which is a gen, a, the generation of grace, everything comes from behind. What am I talking about? The finished work on the cross 2,000 years ago speaks from then to now, and when you, when you go astray, the voice from behind, as it talks about in Isaiah and Revelation, the voice from the cross, the voice from the completed work of Jesus will speak to you. For the Israelis in the Old Testament, God is before them. At all times, he's before them. He goes before them in a cloud. He's bringing them to a place of maturity. He's bringing Israel to a place of completion. But the body of Christ today sometimes I feel is mistaken when they teach you that in order for you to come to a place of completion in God, here we go, you have to walk holy. That's error in my opinion. If you study the Bible carefully, the Bible says once you're born again, you're there. In Colossians, it says you're complete right now, present tense, in Jesus Christ, if you have Jesus in your heart. The New Testament says numerous times, you're sanctified now. That word sanctified is the same word as holy in the New Testament, in the Greek language. You are complete now. The Bible actually says you're complete in his holiness now. You're complete receiving that gift of righteousness that he hands you. It actually says you're complete in your health. It says you were healed, past tense. We're healed. Everything that pertains to life and godliness, you are there. Now you, you walk there. You walk worthy of your calling going forward with the voice behind keeping your path straight. You walk out who you are in Christ. You don't become who you desire to become. You walk according to what the Bible says you are right now. The book of Ephesians opens up with the present tense seated with Christ right now. It's not like one day if you behave enough, you do your best and then you'll walk perfect before God. And one day you're going to reach the throne of God. The moment you're born again, God starts you right there at your father's right hand, seated with him, as it says in Ephesians, resting in the finished work of the cross. How well you walk in holiness is how well you rest on the finished work of the cross through the cross and the resurrection. The tragedy of the church, of the denominational church, of the body of Christ today is what God is putting as a starting point, made us complete in Christ from the start, and they've made that the finish line. Someday you'll be that. Someday you'll get there. That's where you're supposed to start from. One day I'll be complete with God. No, you're complete right now. You're complete right now. The voice from behind is saying, look at what he already did for you on the cross. The cross, the cross, the cross. The resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection. God wants his people's minds to be full of the cross, what he did for you. I believe my job is to make you Jesus conscious, cross conscious, resurrection conscious, 
because it's at the cross that all your enemies, whether it's disease, poverty, depression, rejection, it was all destroyed at the cross and then the resurrection. You know that song? Um, my mom used to, uh, when they started the church in 1980, right? I think I was, I think I was 12. Maybe it was 79. They, they started the church and there was 12 people and it was, it's now, I believe it's called, uh, oh, it's off 55 where the Green Mill Pizza is, that hotel. And they were in the theater of this hotel and mom used to do praise and worship just with an auto harp. Back, okay, she just did the auto harp and we had an overhead projector where um, um, I would have to put the songs on the screen and, and she wouldn't be led by the spirit so she would never tell me that the songs ahead of time. So I couldn't, I couldn't have the songs ready. So I had a big folder thing that I had to flip through to find the songs. And I remember if it took me too long, I could just feel my dad's stare from down in the front row. But there was this song she used to sing with the auto harp and excuse my voice, but just so you can get the tune, it's cause it goes, lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus higher. Lift him up for the world to see. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. All right, the translators put that word men in there. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. They thought that would be a good word to put in there, but that's not correct. That's not what it was talking about. That verse is talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. When Jesus is lifted up at the cross, he will draw everything that Adam brought into the earth to himself. Fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, COVID, whatever. At the cross, our... At the cross, our old man died, and that's not your dad. At the cross, our spirit was made new. At the cross, disease died. At the cross, poverty died. At the cross, every one of our enemies were vanquished, and we come out with him on the other side on resurrected ground, wielding the gift of righteousness or touching his scepter of righteousness like you'll hear about next week. The body of Christ, in my opinion, has suffered because it has been preached over the years. God wants you healed. God wants you well. God wants you prosperous. But we don't give people the reason why they can expect it, why it's been done. You tell me God wants you well, Jim, and is healthy, that's a great statement. But just because you tell me God wants me well, that doesn't mean there's something inside me that activates faith from that statement. For me to reach out and enjoy what belongs to me, I've got to know why. I remember I told my daughter when she was about four, I said, you could line all the little girls up in the world. And I guarantee you, if I had to pick one as my daughter and I didn't know who you were yet, I would pick you. I would pick you. And I thought, yeah, nailed it. She said, why? She needed to know why. Why is healing there? Why is prosperity there? In my opinion, that's where the church of Jesus Christ has failed in general. It has to be pounded in that what happened on the cross, what happened on the cross on a regular basis. Paul said, that's all I preach is the cross. 
So are we ready for Esther? Yeah. Esther. That's why it's going to take three weeks. Esther 1.1. It came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, which is King Darius, that, that is Darius, which reigned from India unto Ethiopia over 127 provinces. Esther 1, 3, and 4, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all the princes and his servants, the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces. If you think about it, this was thousands. This, this empire was gigantic. It's gigantic. And he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty for many days, over 100 days. What's a score? What's four score? What is that? 12, 24, 36, 48? Is that 12? Score? 148 days he had a party. Esther 1, 9. Also Vashti, the queen, made a feast for the women in the royal house which belonged to King Darius. So Darius is so proud of her, he decides to summon Vashti. Esther 1, 11. He, he wants to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the royal crown to show the people and the princess her beauty. And she was fair to look on. But the queen, Vashti, refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth and his anger burned in him. Vashti, if you go by that name, I believe was a Miss India. She, she, I guarantee you, but that name, that, that is an Indian name. And from what the Bible says, she was gorgeous. And just for your own info, in the Hebrew, India means praise or thanks. They're a very musical nation. So King Darius wants to show off his wife, Vashti. But Vashti was immersed in one of the first books on the feminist movement and refused to come. <laughs> so just to give you some background on the type of culture it was, at least according to the Bible, after Vashti refuses his command, that's an emergency. He pulls all his male advisors together because um, it's a major slight in the culture. And it says in Esther 1.15, according to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti because she has not done the bidding of King Darius conveyed by the eunuchs. This was the opinion of his counselors. I was going to read Esther 16, 17, and 1, 16, 17, and 18, but I'll just go to verse 19. This sums it up. If it pleases the king, let a royal command go forth from him. Let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be changed, that Vashti is to be divorced. Come no more before King Darius, and let the king give her royal position, give her royal position to another. So she's losing her position as queen. You see in Esther 2, 1, after these things, when the wrath of the king Darius was pacified, he earnestly remembered Vashti. And if you study the Hebrew behind this, he was really feeling sorry for himself. And so his servants, Esther 2, 2, who ministered to him, said, let let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. Verse three, let the king appoint officers in all the provinces 
of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the capital of Shushan, to the harem under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who's in charge of the, basically the king's women, and let their things for purification be given them. Let the maiden who pleases the queen instead of Vashti be the queen. This pleased the king, of course it did. And he did so. And so now we have the entrance of Mordecai. Esther 2, 5, and 6, there was a certain Jew in the capital of Shushan whose name was Mordecai, son of Jer, son of Shemai, son of Kish, a Benjamite. He was a relative of King Saul who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives, taken away with the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile, Mordecai, basically raised Esther because her parents were gone. They had died. Mordecai was her cousin, her older cousin. So the Bible says Mordecai took her in as his daughter, more or less adopted her. She was somewhere between the ages 17 and 19 at this time. So they gather all the most beautiful young virgins in the kingdom. They're going to have a, a little, you could say, beauty pageant with the king as the judge and whoever he picks as queen of an empire. Well, that's one way to do it, isn't it? Now, you think about that. As big as that, that empire was, it was probably 25,000 women. I mean, because it was from all over. It was probably 20, it was a, it was a competition between 20, it was a, it was a, it was a Miss Teen USA, but time, there's 25,000 people. You could say one of the top five largest empires in the history of the world. Probably number two to Rome. Now let's hit some types and shadows. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. These are types and shadows in the Old Testament that re reveal the new. And really, in a way, this is what Jesus was walking the, those disciples after his resurrection, you know, that seven-mile walk on the road to Aramaeus. He was describing to them things on himself in the Old Testament. He's basically saying, this is how you read the Old Testament, okay? In this particular story, Esther is a type or a shadow of the church. Why? Many times in the New Testament, the church is typified as a woman or as a bride or as a virgin, and she is all those things. You could say Esther is a picture of you of you, what you could be or what you're supposed to be or what you will be. The king, even though he's a complete doofus, and you got to ignore that, because of his authority, and you'll learn about this next week, is a picture or a type or a shadow of God. So Esther 2, 9 through 11, the maiden pleased Haggai. This is the guy in charge, the eunuch in charge of all the, these women. And, and so Esther pleased this guy. He liked this guy. He, he liked her immediately. And he speedily gave her uh, the things for her purification, her portion of few food, and the seven chosen maidens to be given her from the king's palace. Each woman in this contest gets seven servants, women to serve her, to attend her. 
and he removed her and her maids to the best apartment in the harem. Verse 10, Esther had not made known her nationality. This is very important. That she was a Jew or her kindred. For Mordecai had told her, don't do it. Mordecai, who was an attendant in the king's court, came by every day to see how she was faring. Interestingly enough, let's just look at what these women had to go through. Esther 2.12, now when the turn of each maiden came to go into King Darius after the regulations for the women had been carried out for 12 months, since this was the regular period for their beauty treatments, 12 months, six months with oil of myrrh. Doesn't myrrh have something to do with Jesus? There's a type, there's a deep type right there. Six months with sweet spices and perfumes and the things for the purifying of the women. This guy, Haggai, was called the keeper of the women. You could call him almost like the pageant coordinator. And she had great favor with him. The Bible goes on to say that the maidens could take anything they wanted or thought they needed that had been given to them with them to the king's palace. Anything they needed to win that contest. Interestingly enough, Esther requested nothing. She wanted nothing to take with her except Haggai's advice, which was a really, a move of wisdom on her part because Haggai absolutely knew King Darius, knew what he was about, knew what he liked, knew what he didn't like. Now remember, Esther typifies the church. The Bible says Esther obtained favor in the sight of all that saw her. She typifies the church. She's a, she's a shadow of the church. The church is full of believers. She typifies you. She's a shadow of you. The name Haggai in the Hebrew means meditation. Meditation. Esther, in a sense, being a type of the church, is saying, I don't want anything unless it comes through meditation. That's all I need is what comes through meditation. And just quickly, Joshua 1.8, the book of the law, there was only five books in the Bible at this time. It's what it's talking about. You shall meditate on day and night. If you do that, you will observe to do all that's written in it. If you do that, you will make your way prosperous. Meditate, one of the meanings is murmur. If you meditate on it as much as you can is when you are prosperous and have good success. We're talking about the fruit of meditation in the church's life, Esther 2, 16 and 17. So Esther was taken to King Darius into his royal palace in the 10th month of Tibeth in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than all the women. And she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the maidens. So he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. I just want to hit something here in Esther 2.15. It says, in Esther 2.15, it says, Esther won favor in sight of all who saw her at the end of that verse. All who saw her. She won favor in sight of all who saw her. How do you win 
win as a type of the church favor in the sight of all that even see you. Have you ever met anyone like that? I think I, think I know four or five people like that where people are just drawn to them. Doesn't matter, grocery stores, restaurants. Psalm 512, for you, Lord, will bless the righteous. Well, you being righteous now is a different meaning than it was in the Old Testament. You being righteous now means the Lord will bless all of those that have been cleared from all guilt. That's what righteousness means in the New Testament cleared from all guilt. You've been cleared from all guilt or just simply you're in right standing with God because of what Jesus did for you. All right. Or E.W. Kenyon definition of it is the ability to stand before God without any guilt or inferiority. You can go to him boldly no matter what you've done. All right. And so it says for the you Lord will bless the righteous. Those who have the ability to stand before God without a sense of guilt or inferiority. You're going to be blessed. Why? As with a shield, he will surround you with favor, a shield of favor. Do you ever see yourself like that? Favor is with a shield. To obtain that favor in the sight of all that look upon you, it has nothing to do with human intelligence, it has nothing to do with your self-effort, and the more self-occupied you are in your efforts, the less favor you get. How? How do I know this? Romans eleven six. We hit this on Facebook last week. Let's go to the uh, King James, Romans eleven six. For if, it, if by grace, it's no more works. If it's going to be grace. It has nothing to do with works. Otherwise, grace is not grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. In the Amplified, it says, if it be by grace, his unmerited favor. Favor you don't work for. Favor that you did not earn. Favor you do not deserve is how that's defined in the Greek language. I just snapped and woke some people up. But you know what? You can sleep. It will go into your subconscious. I'm just happy that you're here. Relax. It's okay. The first, the first, the first message I ever preached in Indonesia, it was in a shack with a clay floor. The first message ever, James Tam was sitting in there and was sweating. And, and half, there's like 14 people in the church, and half of them are because of the heat. And a little boy just got up and went to the bathroom in the middle of the aisle. It does not bother me if you sleep. You can receive in the subconscious. He can reach you in your sleep. Listen, it's, look, if, if, if it be by grace, it's not conditioned on works or anything a man has done, then it's not grace. It's not grace. When God's favor is on you and the truth is known, have you ever seen someone in the business world that's not qualified to be where they are? but they're just there 
because the boss likes them. We've all seen that. I could be one of them. <laughs> I, believe it, I believe it's better you receive more grace and you receive more grace in the end. And this, people don't like this when I make this statement. If you don't think you're qualified or believe you're qualified, the New Testament talks about coming to him with unqualified assurance. But even if you think you're qualified, that's fine. If you can't get to that point where you, don't th where you just don't think you're qualified, right? Even if you b believe you're qualified, give credit to the fact that the reason and the only reason you have what you have is because of God's favor you don't deserve. Always. That is how you continue to receive more and more grace it's not true the, the battle goes to the swift or land goes to the mighty. You can be beautiful and you might be able to sing, but if no one votes for you, you're out. If you have a, a young company and you're an upstart, I just personally don't think, and this is going to go against some people's grain, I've got to... I've got to use my head better than them. I've got to outwork them. Because can I tell you something? There's always going to be others that are smarter than you, that have the capability of physically outlasting you and outworking you. There will always be others. So receive his grace and his favor. And, and yeah, I know. I know. Romans 5, 17. You're going to know this scripture. For if because of one man's trespass, lapse, offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely than Adam taking a bite out of the apple, much more surely. Why isn't it much more surely? Because people don't believe it. They don't know that they can have it. Much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing. Does this say a little bit? Say, say half. Does it say a quarter? No, it's got to be overflowing, unmerited favor, undeserved favor, and the free gift of righteousness. You, you receive that gift, it's free of him putting you in right standing with God. Not you getting there, him putting you there through his work on the cross. Those who receive those two things, okay? When we talk about kings and queens are the ones that reign are the Christians that reign as kings and queens in life. It doesn't say the ones that send the less. It doesn't. Esther 2, 18 through 21. Because I know you always hear this, but doubt is a sin. Worry is a sin. Fear is a sin. I can prove it all. It says in Romans, anything you do that's not in faith is a sin. Gluttony is a sin. I'm going to eat so much Indian food this afternoon. I am committing the sin of gluttony again. We're sinning when we don't even know it. We're judging people when we don't even, even know we're judging people. You know, uh, Every wrong word, word of doubt that's spoken, any doubt is a sin. Anything that's not in faith, that's why you need this. Regardless if you don't commit the big ones. Back to Esther, 2.18. Then the king gave a feast for all his princes and servants, Esther's feast, 
And he gave a holiday to the provinces and gave gifts in keeping with the generosity of the king. And when the maidens were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Now Esther had not yet revealed her nationality and she is the queen of an empire. She is the 17-year-old queen of an empire. And everything is gonna hang in the balance on what she does or doesn't do. We're gonna find out next week. And so she hadn't revealed it because Mordecai told her not to. In verse 21, in those days while Mordecai sat at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, they were, gate, they were guards, were angry and they were plotting an assassination attempt on Darius. So Mordecai hears this seated at the gate. I wanna focus on the fact that the Bible says that Mordecai was seated at the gate. What's the New Testament type? We're literally talking about rest and authority. They go hand in hand. God wants you in a position of being seated. The devil wants you in a cycle of performing to become. Ephesians 2.6, he raised us up together with him, made us sit down. Are you sitting down with him? But do you really know you're sitting down together, giving us joint seating with him in the heavenly sphere by just your virtue of having God inside of you? That's Ephesians 2.6. And so Esther 2.22 and uh, chapter 3, 1, and this was known to Mordecai, who told it to, to, to the queen Esther. Esther goes and tells the king, and she mentions Mordecai's name. When it was investigated and found to be true, both men were hanged on the gallows for the assassination plot. And it was recorded in the book of Chronicles in the king's presence. After these things, king, king Darius promoted Haman, enters the villain, the villain of the story. We're going to get, get deep into that next week. Haman, we're going to talk about his lineage is very interesting. Okay. And he advanced him basically to prime minister right under the king. Years ago, Chip Brim had a message uh, on authority of the believer. It's an old school book. Brother Hagen used to talk about from a guy. It's not in print anymore. A guy named McMillan wrote this book. All right, and I, I will never forget this message. I, it, it talks about taking your seat of authority in, out of, and operating out of your heavenly ministry. I did it today pulling into the parking lot. I was, I was pleading the blood and just over you, over everyone online. I was, I was doing the prayer of binding and loosing and, and, and I thought about that. Wow, I just, I just do it automatically. Take your seat of authority in the heavenlies. And so this guy, McMillan, said, no, that, that, that's the first thing you do. When you pray, know where you're operating from on a daily basis, where he put you. He wouldn't have said, you're seated with him. It's joint seating in the heavenly sphere. If that didn't mean something, wasn't supposed to mean something for us and do something for us. That going along, authority with Philippians 4, 7, God's peace shall be yours. 
It's a tranquil state of a soul. You're positive you're going to heaven. You don't fear anything from God. And you're content with whatever's going on in your life. You're still content. Notice six verses later, it says, not that I speak in respect of one, I've learned in whatsoever state that I am to be content. This peace transcends all understanding and garrisons, mounts guard over your heart and mind. That means there is literally a fortress that guards your heart and mind. Remember Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. What's at your gate? So as Mordecai was seated daily, daily, the gate to what? Well, where's the king located? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, correct? Where's the king located? I, I say this every day, and you don't even have to get this detailed. Just say, I operate. But I say, I take my seat of authority today. And we're going to do this at the end. I operate, think, pray, sleep, dream, drive, communicate, decide, react, get ideas, coach out of my heavenly ministry today, seated right next to him. We're talking about praying, seated at rest out of your heavenly ministry. Why does rest have to do with your authority? Notice it says in Ephesians, in those very same scriptures about peace, garrisoning, protecting, setting up a fortress, a fort around your heart and your mind. It also says, it also says when you pray, right, don't let yourself be in worry. It starts with that, those very same scriptures. It has to do with your authority. And so... We're going to pick up on this. Can, can we go to Ephesians 2, 6 again? He raised us up together with him, made us sit down together, giving us joint seating, present tense with him in the heavenly sphere. And so I just want to take you to Esther 4.14, and I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to cover this scripture next week. Esther, I, I, Esther 4.14. For if thou, this is Mordecai talking to Esther in a hairy situation. Well, what you're going to find out about next week. If you hold thy peace at this time, then, there sh then, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews, not from you, but... He'll find someone else to take care of us. But thou and thy father's house will be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God knew you would be born in this such a time. He knew you would be here in this such a time. He knew we would be here for such a time as this. And I feel like what we're missing all the political and all the stuff going on, you know? I just, uh, I did this thing on Facebook one of the days last week where I was reading a, a Wikipedia on William Seymour, all right? Basically, call him the founder of the Pentecostal movement, the founder of this type of church. He was a black man, and 
he wasn't even allowed to sit in the Bible school classroom. He had to sit outside the classroom. But isn't it interesting? Was the, the, the nation was very segregated. This is 1906. And they have services together with all races. Well, William Seymour takes what he got from that Bible school, goes to Azusa Street in L.A., and has, opens it up to everyone, has a service for everyone, Latinos, blacks, whites, everyone, okay? And what a coincidence. The glory of God came into that place for two years. They saw the Shekinah glory. They saw it. They actually put it in jars. It says they lived in the miracles of Acts for two years. And that thing went worldwide. Worldwide. 50 different countries. People from all over the world came to see this. What a coincidence. The church unites and God blesses it. John 17, 20 through 24, it says... If you look in the King James, it says, Jesus' prayer for the church, all right? He's praying for us right now, and I think he's talking about right now. It says, neither for these alone do I pray, the ones that are here, but also for all those who will ever come to believe in me through their word and teaching. That's you who will become. That they all may be one. They all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one, so that the world may believe and be convinced that you sent me. What's that saying? Until the church is united, the world will not be convinced. And you can't tell me the church is united. And I know we're praying for protection, and I know we're praying for our leaders, and I know we're praying you know, for all this, but I think, I think for this stuff to get fixed, the church has to unite. It has to unite. And I, I, can't, I can't see how that, you can't wrap your head around that. All the philosophies and doctrines and, and opinions and politics. But we can pray. And it, just like he did, and he says that they may all be one. Twice in verse 21 so that the world be convinced. I have given to them glory and honor, which you have given me, that they may be one. Third time. And in them, I and them, you and me, in order, fourth time, that they may become one, perfectly united. It's talking about the church. Well, it's never been one. It's gotta be now. That, okay, okay. Once it unites, that the world may know and recognize that you sent me. So when the church unites, there it is. There's your end time harvest. Father, I, verse 24, I desire they also whom you have entrusted to me may be with me where I am so that they may see my glory like Seymour did. In 1906, they actually saw his glory. Verse 21 and 23 talks about the church being perfectly united, sandwiched in there in verse 22. He talks about giving us glory. And then again in 24, that we would see his glory. We're talking about, it is the end times. There is supposed to be an end time pouring out of the spirit 
an end time revival and an end time transfer of wealth. So can we just pray for that? Right now as a church. Father, we just take our seat of authority in the heaven, in our, out of our heavenly ministry today. From our, from our joint seating with Christ. And we just simply put the unity of the church, all denominations, all races, all countries in your hands. In your hands. That no one would be left behind. And we bind the spirit of division and the spirit of pride and the spirit of false doctrine, which is a spirit in the church in the name of Jesus Christ, with the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we would be one. I mean, you're talking about billions, hundreds of millions. I just want to go ahead and close. Um... If I could just ask you guys, if you could just bow your head and close your eyes. The whole thing on this is Jesus had to die. Think about he, what he die at age 33, 32. His ministry lasted two and a half years. He came to earth and never sinned. He was born in a manger, which is an animal feeding trough. So we picture a little crib, you know, he's rocking. No, there's an animal feeding trough. To think about that, God comes down and is born in, 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 in where the animals were kept. It was probably a cave, right? Born in a cave. Never sinned. <laughs> Never sinned. Not even when he took a whip into the temple. He never sinned. And then was blindfolded, punched, verbally abused. Prophesy who hit you. Prophesy who hit you. Thorns beaten into his head by well over probably 200 and something odd Roman soldiers all took a shot at him either with their war gloves or their reeds, sticks, Took a shot at him. Beaten to a pulp so that you could have peace of mind. Thorns are beaten into his head. Uh, the whip laced with glass, animal teeth, metal, ripped through his body to where they could see his bones. Laid down on the cross, was nailed to the cross cross was dropped into the ground all his bones came out of joint and he hung there while they made fun of him for six hours it says he took your distresses that means stress have you put your stress on him because he took it technically there is a way for you to get rid of your stress through giving it to him and he did all this died and went to hell raised from the dead three days later so all you have to do to have a relationship with God and spend eternity with God which is not 70 years which is not a thousand years which is not 2500 years it's forever is believe that he died and rose again for you that's it 
It's real easy. So I just want to ask you, and I'm going to ask you online too, let us know. Let us know if you want to. Make sure you're going to spend eternity in heaven with God and walk with him now. I need you to raise your hand now. If you, if you are not totally positive, I'm talking to you online, let us know that you, if you died today, if you're not totally positive, you would go to heaven. I need you to raise your hand right now. It's just everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, hopefully, so it's just me and you. I'm not going to call you out. You're just going to say a prayer right there. Let us know online. Raise your hand now. I just, you got to make sure that everybody, what's the point of this if we don't do this? Thank you for that hand online. Thank you for that hand online. Is there anyone in here? I just want to make sure. We have one hand online. I see, that, I see that hand to my left. Thank you. I see a third hand right down the middle. Fourth hand. Fourth hand. Thank you for that. Any other hands? So you just told me. You just said, I need him. One online and four in here. I see a fifth hand in the, in the balcony. Thank you. You just said, by just raising your hand, you said, you know what you said? You basically said, I believe. That's what you said. And so I'm just going to ask everyone in here and everyone online to repeat this prayer after me. Because he did it. He did the hard thing. And let me tell you something. After you say this prayer, you are saved. See, what happens? You guys that raise your hand, you're going to walk out of here. And there is an enemy. And he's going to say, eh, it's not that easy. You can lose it. You can lose it. No, you can't. Oh, no, that's going to make some people mad. I believe in eternal security. He's just going to snatch it from you. It's a gift. So thank you for that second hand online. So just repeat this prayer after me if everyone in here would do that. Dear God in heaven, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he died for my sins on the cross. And was raised from the dead three days later. I ask you, Jesus, to be my Savior and be my Lord. Thank you for saving me now. Amen. 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 Wow, you guys. That, and there's five hands online. Five hands online. Thank you, Lord. Look, he made it easy. All right? So... The first, it's a, it's a, it's a game, it's a, it's a war on your mind. No, 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 no. You raised your hand and you said, I believe he died and rose again. Rose again. It says it over and over and over and over in the Bible. You will be saved if you believe he died and rose again. 